Welcome back to episode four of Stick to Football. I'm Matt Miller, the lead NFL draft writer for Bleacher Report, joined as always by utility man and co-host Connor Rogers. And right quick off the top, let me remind you guys to please subscribe and rate us on iTunes and that you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Stick to Football. This week's show, though, is going to be a fun one. Our guest, Ryan Hurd, just dropped his new EP a few weeks ago and is really one of the biggest like up-and-comers in country music right now. So we're going to talk to him about living in Nashville, being a sports fan there with the Titans, uh, the Predators making a nice little run toward the Stanley Cup. And he was also just at the Kentucky Derby, so I have a lot of questions about that. But first, Connor, you have to tell me, dude, you went on a little vacation to Miami. Hopefully you got recharged and are ready to go, but, but how was it? It was beautiful, and I loved the Utility Man intro because this time of the year with the draft being over, that's kind of what I've become around here. But um, the getaway was good. You know more than anyone what it's like to just kind of refresh the mind. I didn't check email for two full days, and that was the longest time I haven't checked an email since I didn't really have much internet in Costa Rica. So it felt so good to get off the map for, I mean, it wasn't long, but God, is it fun. I know, and everyone's like, hey, how much time do you get between the Ugh. end of the draft and starting for next year? Not and, much. <laughs> uh, none is the answer. Yeah, because, really. Uh, we are, we're going to record a Facebook Live show tomorrow at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Yes. Excuse me, today at 2.30 p.m. Today, Eastern. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, and we're talking about 2018 already. And um, we've even got some great draft-on-draft questions that are about 2018. So we promised you guys in the intro to this podcast – a month ago that we we weren't taking the summer off we're gonna keep talking football we're gonna keep talking the draft and we're gonna try something new this week uh we're gonna share with you some like behind the scenes kind of inside information that we've gathered in our conversation with scouts and general managers and coaches so i like yours better this week so i'm gonna let you lead off connor yeah this will be the one rare time where i think i have the uh the super hot quote but now, this is not obviously not what Matt and I think. Now, Matt's crazy and already has a, a 10 quarterback watch list he's going to reveal on the show, and I won't give away that. But one guy we're going to be talking about nonstop is Lamar Jackson, who is just fascinating to watch, exciting to watch, incredibly fast. He, he's got a pretty strong arm from what we've seen. and just Now, the thing that I have heard already, because I've asked around about this, and I know you have too. You said this to me, oh, oh God, about eight months ago when he was having a wild run that you had already heard this. NFL teams, now all of them, it only takes one, but NFL teams don't believe he's going to play quarterback at the next level. They There's multiple concerns, whether it's if he's smart enough, there's IQ concerns, you know, obviously he's he's got a – Matt, you would, I would definitely think he has a pretty thin frame, which is concerning. Yeah, very. very, very thin frame. It's more the most the biggest thing is the IQ thing. Now, the quote, the exact quote was, you know, he's just dead on not a quarterback. He'll play wide receiver. Think he'll struggle transitioning to wide receiver there. Just not smart enough for the quarterback position at the next level. Now, I'm not going to go there yet, obviously, for our own evaluations. I know you haven't fully gone there yet. But it's so interesting because, number one, he's a fantastic athlete. So I think if he does have to move positions, I think there's definitely a place for him in the league. I'm not ready to say that he has to move positions, but this is the point. I know people are going to react really negatively towards this quote. It's that NFL teams know so much more about the IQ and just all that at, at the next level. And they're, you know, it's, it's a real thing that he really might not be a quarterback at the next level. You're right, and I think this is a part where – 
the casual fan might struggle to understand kind of the inside baseball nature of scouting, you know, because they look at a guy like Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman and making plays, and they're like, how can he not be an NFL quarterback? But there's so much that goes into that. And like you said, I'm not going to attach my name to that quote. Um, the the scout or, or GM who gave you that line is obviously ahead of where I'm at in terms of evaluating guys right now. But do you see the concerns? Like you watch Louisville play because they had, you know, a tight end and two receivers in this draft. And, you know, that offense is, is very basic. Um, and one thing that you can look at, um, you know, Bobby Petrino's guys in college transitioning to the NFL, it, it doesn't happen. And it's and he's not had great. Some very different style quarterbacks, you know, and it's never worked for them. So I, I don't think that that's an, an illegitimate concern. And it's definitely, so you hear that and you hear it from someone you respect. And so you go into the season thinking like, okay, I want him to prove that wrong is basically how I will look at it of, okay, we've heard that he might not, you know, have the football IQ that's necessary for the position. So every time I watch him this year, that's what I'm going to be looking for. And every time I talk to an opponent or a coach, you kind of get a framework for the questions that you're going to build. And he's not the only guy that, that, you know, that that label gets put on half the quarterbacks that we probably evaluate every year of oh, this guy's just not smart enough. You know, I've, this isn't my scouts quote for the week, but I've already had people tell me like, Hey, I don't know if Josh Allen's smart enough to play quarterback in the NFL. So um, it's, that is a big line and it's, it's definitely something that requires a ton of digging into over the next 11 months as we start this process over again. Yeah, and they both certainly displayed enough accuracy and a little bit of turnover issues too. Both quarterbacks, so, you know, Lamar Jackson, Jackson, who's obviously probably the favorite to win the Heisman again, and Josh Allen, who is you know being talked about as a potential number one overall pick. So they're both gonna have a lot of questions to answer, and that's not a quote that I would have put out there if it wasn't from somebody that I think is a obviously superb talent evaluator and you know way more right on things than wrong. So. It's fascinating. It's going to be such an interesting year watching him and seeing the leaps he could potentially take to, you know, prove evaluators wrong, essentially. Yeah. And next year's quarterback class looks to be amazing. And we're going to talk a lot about those guys over the next few months. Um, so my quote this week um, is more NFL based. And as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I have been pounding the table for Chris Ballard to become a general manager for about three years now. Um, it, he was a, a great scout with the Bears. And here's one thing I'll say about that. He was a great scout for the Bears, and they were not a good team, which a lot of people don't understand is possible. Like, you can be the best scout in the world and be on a shitty team, and no one will talk about you as a future GM because your team's not winning, even though you have no control of that, which is incredible to me. So as this process starts over... And we start talking about future GM candidates. It doesn't matter how good their team is because if you're a, a director of college scouting or a director of player personnel, you're not making the decisions. You're giving information to a general manager who makes that decision. So with Chris Ballard, it was always like, this guy is going to be a, a tremendous GM because he has a coaching background. He has a strong scouting background. And it's also about how well connected he was. And the quote I got this week was, the Colts will win a Super Bowl with Chris Ballard as general manager, and I'll be shocked if they don't. And and I actually agree. I, I look at the staff, the, the scouting staff. You're bringing in a Rex Hogan and Ed Dodds, two very, very highly respected scouts. Uh, what he did in free agency, addressing the defense, and you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So the biggest question mark is already answered. Like You already know that you have a, a strong quarterback, a strong leader, someone who can win games. So when I look at 
you know, it's a little early to who am I going to pick to win next year, but man, the Colts are, are right up there at the top, I think, in the AFC. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we talked about last week when we were reviewing drafts. Look at the Colts draft they just had under Chris Ballard in comparison to the Grigson years. And a really good point about what you said about, you know, hiring from teams that aren't necessarily winning. Listen, the Jets did not just have a good year at all. And, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, things haven't been great. And Rex Hogan, who's been there a couple of years, just got hired to go there. So it does happen. And Exactly. Yeah. Ex- so I, I love that quote because I think it's spot on when you look at – listen, Ballard is an excellent talent evaluator. And I think what he's done so well is just, you know, built the filled out rosters. Not always, I don't know about his ability to evaluate a franchise quarterback, but when you look at all the other positions that he's filled out on rosters, he's done such a good job. He doesn't even have to go get one. That's the – the best thing it's kind of a blessing for him that he waited because now he goes to the Colts with Andrew Luck there and god they just fill that roster out and god, the AFC South is atrocious pretty much the Titans are on the rise but as a whole collectively you know it's a division that's really struggled the Jaguars just can't seem to get out of the quicksand they've been stuck in the Texans have had their quarterback problems maybe Sean Watson solves that but they are really poised to do great things right now yeah, they absolutely are. And, I, again, I'm going to ride or die with Chris Ballard as GM, and I will never hear the end of it if he fails, especially from Bears fans, because when they hired Ryan Pace, I went on local radio and just killed that hire. It was probably like the most fired up I've ever been on radio. So we'll, we'll see. Um, it, that's that's one of those things. You kind of put yourself out there, and it's like, okay, this, this guy better make it or not. And an interesting name coming out of Kansas City, this wasn't on our, our rundown. I'm going to go off on a tangent here is Brett Veach, um, who, when when I would talk to people about, okay, who's the who are the next up-and-coming general managers? It'd always be like, okay, well, Ballard is atop that list, you know, and you've got some other guys, uh, Elliot Wolf and, and people like that. Um, but Veach now is next in line in Kansas City, I think. And we've already seen his name get mentioned with the Buffalo Bills opening. So that's like a, a young guy to keep an eye on. Maybe not this year. Um, definitely next year he's going to start getting some interviews, though. Yeah, it's going to get – I mean, obviously, it'll get really interesting because now we're getting the next wave of names. We've heard the names like Ballard for so long. And, you know, obviously, the Bills searches – it seems like they're closing in on the uh, the Panthers – the guy from the Panthers front office. I can't remember his name right now. But, um, yeah, Brandon Bean. Yeah, yeah, Brandon Bean. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, another roster that is, has been hit or miss, but you just never know really with guys that are working under the GMs. But, uh, you know, just to keep things moving, we are going to talk about – offensive and defensive rookie of the year candidates today we're going to start it off with the offensive rookie of the year candidates and i think this is going to be really good because me and matt have a, a decent amount of the same names but in completely different order and i'll let him take it away with his guy you could anyone could guess who his number one pick is here yeah it's going to be leonard fournette and i i've said before i said it on the show when he was drafted i look at leonard fournette as they are going to turn around and hand him the ball early and often in that offense because they want to help Blake Bortles. They've really went out and bolstered the offensive line. You, you trade for Brandon Albert, you, you draft Cam Robinson, and now you have that bell cow running back. And I, listen, I'm not a fan of how this organization has been run and the way they've squandered some talent, but I look at Tom Coughlin uh, and I look at Doug Marone and I think they're just going to try to ground and pound and let their defense win some games. And I think Fournette will get the numbers to be a legitimate rookie of the year candidate. 
Yeah, and Fournette was is my is second on my list just because there's gonna be he's gonna get the ball so much. I mean, Blake Bortles is so bad, and they're gonna try to protect him. And Fournette's as pro ready as it gets. I don't see much in T.J. Yeldon. Chris Ivory can't stay healthy. He's just the guy there. So I totally understand why it's number one pick. He's number two for me because I got Run CMC number one. You know, you knew I was going with that one. Listen, McCaffrey. Is he's going to get a lot of attention from defenses right away, which is the only thing that could stop him from winning this award. But when you look at what he could do in the passing game, what he can do in the running game, the fact of how badly the Panthers need a weapon to come in and contribute right away with Kelvin Benjamin apparently weighing nearly 300 pounds, which I I don't believe that, but he's definitely overweight. It wouldn't shock me at all. I just think McCaffrey's going to do, you know, he's a guy that could easily, to me, get 1,500 all-purpose yards and then you look at, as a bonus, what he could do in the return game. I think he's just going to be a huge numbers guy this year and win the award. Yeah, so you had it McCaffrey, Fournette. I have it Fournette, Mike Williams, Christian McCaffrey. And so I'll talk about Mike Williams. I, I look at him going to that Chargers offense. I Phillip Rivers is the man. So you have a quarterback who can get him the ball. He's going to be the number one option there as long as he doesn't have any trouble learning the offense because of Keenan Allen's injuries. I like some of their contributing pieces, but he is the focal point of this passing game right now. And he is a deep threat. Like He is someone who can take the, the top off the defense with size, with speed, with length. So I think his numbers could be very good. Similar maybe to what we just saw Mike Thomas do in New Orleans, who went off for a, a tremendous rookie season. I mean, I, I don't think you know 80 catches and 1,100 yards is out of the question for what Mike Williams can do for Los Angeles next year. Yeah, I don't think so either. And that's why he, he was number three for me. And listen, I think all these guys are going to produce so much instantly. It, it, this is one of those years. You know, we talk to our fantasy analyst at Bleacher Report, Matt Camp, all the time. We, you know, we start looping him in on, hey, before you guys even get drafted, this is the guy you're going to be talking about next year. This is the guy. There's so many this year. And when you look at Mike Williams, it just feels like he's going to come in and be what Vincent Jackson was years ago right away because – that's just what he did it for Clemson for so long. The back shoulder throws. Listen, Watson was a, was a good college player. There's no doubt about that. But what he did for Clemson's offense, he was, to me, the most valuable player possibly for that team. When you just look at times where he could take over the game. And he's a guy that even when he's covered, he still wins the ball. And the Chargers needed a guy like that so badly. So... I think he's going to do really well in there. I, that's why I put him at number three. I just don't think he'll be in as control of, you know, the number of touches he gets that guys like McCaffrey and Fournette will. And, you know, talking about his quarterback, that's who you have at number four, Matt. Yeah, I have Deshaun Watson at number four. Assuming that he at some point takes that starting quarterback job from Tom Savage, which shouldn't be hard to do. No. I don't <laughs> think that that's a, 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 steep, a steep curve for him to climb. L- listen, I had Watson as my number two quarterback and, and had a lot of, you know, he, heated disagreements with people about him because I think everyone expected he would be the number one quarterback in this draft, maybe even the number one pick. Obviously, we saw, you know, he was not. Um, he was the third quarterback drafted, which is is about in line with what I'd heard from evaluators. But in this system, with this talent, with Lamar Miller, Dante Foreman, with what he has on the outside, with Hopkins and Fuller and Miller, like – there is a lot of talent on that offense and a good enough defense to support them to where he doesn't have to score 30 every week. So I could see Watson maybe not having tremendous numbers, 
but maybe having a Teddy Bridgewater-like rookie season where he wins a ton of games, doesn't turn the ball over, uh, he's a better runner than Teddy was. So I could see him having that kind of year and maybe even you know, getting a wild card berth, maybe even getting, you know, we were just talking about the AFC South being kind of up and down. Maybe they make a, a good enough run there to where he just wins too many games. And you know, looking back at, at Teddy's rookie year, uh, he started 12 games, threw for almost 3,000 yards, uh, 14 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, but they, they won the games that he played in. So I can see Watson being very, very similar this year. Yeah, and when you look at who won it last year in Dak Prescott, I mean, why, how could you really doubt Deshaun Watson this year? Because – Listen, I don't know if that Texans team is as talented as that Cowboys team, but I can tell you Deshaun Watson is a better player than Dak Prescott and will be and I personally think will be a better player. Now I know Cowboys fans don't want to hear that and Watson and Dak might have a better career because of the situation he's in, but I just think Watson can come in and contribute right away and take that team to the next step that they haven't gotten to because of their quarterback issues. Another guy that can come in right away and like Mike Williams see a lot of targets and be on a really good team with a really good ascending young quarterback, is Corey Davis. And I thought this was a huge reach at five, but I did try to clarify, hey, it was a reach at five, but he's going to be a really good player. Their leading receiver last year was Rashard Matthews, who had 65 catches for 945 yards. They didn't have a receiver top 1,000 yards. Their next guy was Delaney Walker, who's not even a receiver. So, listen, look at the guys that caught the ball for them. It's Rashard Matthews with 945 yards. And then the next guy was Taji Sharp with just over 500 yards. So there was a huge void here for a guy to come in and get targets right away. Corey Davis is going to – and he's a well-coached player out of Western Michigan, excellent route runner. If he's healthy, because we haven't seen him work out in quite some time, he's going to come in and put up numbers right away from Mariota, and that's that's why I made him number four. Yeah, I didn't get him on my list, um, and now I'm kind of regretting it because – there are so many good offensive players this, this year, but you have a great point there. If healthy, I thought he was the best route runner of anyone in last year's draft class. Um, maybe Christian McCaffrey might be the only guy who was close. So I could see him having the numbers for sure because they also need it's, – it's very similar to the Chargers where it was such a gigantic need for them, and you have a capable quarterback, you have a good running game um, to where you're going to need to put up numbers. Corey Davis, just from a – like a, whether it's a fantasy football perspective or a stats perspective, because of the division they're in, the Chargers are going to have to throw the ball so much because if you're playing Kansas City and you're playing Oakland and you're playing Denver and you're probably going to fall behind and you're going to have to throw the ball and he's going to have to be a playmaker. So that's a, a great selection by you. Um, and here's one, another one where we're different. Uh, number five, I went O.J. Howard, drafted by Tampa Bay. I think Jameis Winston needs a – he's going to be a number three target because of Mike Evans, uh, because of Deshaun Jackson. But I think Howard could still just be a like a red zone nightmare where he maybe catches 10 touchdowns, even if he only has 45 or 50 catches. I, I think he's just going to tear people apart in the red zone. Uh, going back to where Jameis was in college even, he had Kelvin Benjamin. And now he's got – you know he needs receivers, big receivers with a big catch rate because he loves to throw – you know, those back shoulder fades, and he loves to throw the jump ball. So I think Howard, when when things get tight down in the red zone or at the goal line, that's where he could really be a major factor. Yeah, and, and once again, like I didn't even put my favorite players necessarily on this list. I just kind of looked for guys that are going to get forced touches. And I like that point about O.J. Howard with forced touches in the red zone and well-earned touches. I just think they added so much into that offense that it's going to be interesting to see how the ball is spread around. And, you know, speaking of an offense that – 
I don't really love it, but this guy is going to get the ball so much and is known for the big play in Dalvin Cook with the Vikings. Sam Bradford is the dink and dunk guy in the league right now. He's going to just dump the ball off, let his players go to work. If Dalvin Cook comes in, you know, you don't obviously, there's not much to love about the running backs around him. If he comes in and he becomes the guy, it's kind of easy seeing him getting, you know, six to eight targets in the pass game per game and say 15 to, to 18 carries. And you look, you know, you don't look now, but if he's putting up 120 to 135 all purpose yards per game. And these guys, the rest of this list doesn't really produce the way we hoped. He could kind of, he has a sneaky chance at winning the offensive rookie of the year candidate. As long as he could just stay out of trouble. That's always our big concern with him. Our concerns aren't on the field with Dalvin, but, um, you know, we're going to wrap. We're going to take a break. We'll bring. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That the fumbles, too. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to bring on Ryan Hurd, which is going to be awesome. Tennessee Titans fan. Obviously, up and coming rising star in the country music industry. And we'll be back after this. All right, we're joined now by uh, guest Ryan Hurd, who is, uh, like we said earlier today, one of the like up and coming stars of the country music scene right now. And like, I've been a huge fan of your music since I didn't even know how I. I think it was Spotify was like, here's an artist you might like, and it was the one time they were right about yeah. that. So it's it's awesome, <laughs> man, to see like you're blowing Pretty up cool. right now. Yeah, man, uh, it's been a cool year. I, I'm not like I'm, I don't even have a song at radio yet, so it's cool that people are sort of you know finding my songs and seems like they're responding and it's and it's been a fun year so far yeah so how does that like i mean you know like the sports media world is weird right now you know like espn's laying people off everything's kind of being reorganized is it like that in the music industry too where it's not like it used to be where you would like release a single and then an album and radio stations would play it and like you made all your money that yeah. way. How different is that world now? Well, in Nashville, we still have, I mean, the radio is still the most important thing to us. Um, but the hard part about the radio is like, it's limited to people with who are on a label that can get you on the radio. So like it used to like the thing that really killed us. I mean, piracy killed so much of the music business and it killed so much of Nashville's music business just because it was so based on CDs and like everything else was, but you know, the streaming thing has been cool in one way because it's brought albums, like made albums more important again. Like for the last like five years or so, or maybe, maybe longer, like people would go buy radio singles, like single song, like just single song download, you know, whatever radio single you had out there. And so like, there's sort of like, what's the point attitude toward the rest of the album, but like with the way people consume music now and, and, with Apple Music and Spotify and Tidal and Beat, and I guess Beats is Apple now. I mean, it's just been really cool to like see like people consume like a lot more music than they were. And um, you know, the hard part is that like as a writer, you don't see any, any real royalties from that st- the streaming side, but you do from the radio. And as an artist, I guess that it's a little bit better. Like the masters worth a little bit more. But dude, I've really enjoyed like getting to put music out just. We we did streaming only for like six months, and it was really really cool and fascinating to like see people respond to it, and we were pretty successful with it, and it was like kind of a bigger reaction than I imagined. Uh, but it's that's kind of the kind of where we're at right now. I don't know. I don't know exactly what you want me to what no. you want me to talk about as far as that concern, is concerned, but 
now for me it's like we've released all the stuff that's been available to stream for a while we just put it for download which in country music is a big deal people were hitting me up every day just being like when can we buy your music which is so weird because i was essentially just giving it away to these subscription services and uh so now we go to radio with our first single and we hope that one climbs the charts and as soon as it proves to be successful we'll put the album out so it's still like a very terrestrial radio based model in nashville yeah that, and it's like i said you it seems like you're all over the place now so it's it's great and you know so the one thing that like you and i have in common is like for me music is like my release and for you like sports is seems to be at least from following you on twitter is like you're kind of you know uh you could get away from work you know and like watch a predators game oh, yeah. or um watch the titans draft process so since this is a draft oh, yeah. podcast i guess i i'll bring it back to that like Watching the draft, how closely do you follow college football, I guess? And were you happy with what your Titans did? So, yeah, I mean, you probably don't get many, like, Titans fans on this thing. I mean, no. there's not, like, it's pretty limited to Middle Tennessee, you know? Uh, and uh, I grew up in – I was born in Chicago. I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Kalamazoo's halfway between Chicago and Detroit. And my dad, you know, was a big Chicago sports fan growing up. But all my friends were Detroit sports fans, so they liked the Red Wings and the Lions and – it was just kind of weird for me because I was like right in between that. So when I got to Nashville for college, I was like, I'm all in Titans and Preds. I just finally had like something that made sense for me fan wise. And I think like fandom is so weird too, you know, like, like how you become a fan of a team. Like I'm a Michigan football fan. I'm a, I'm a middle Tennessee sports fan, like Belmont basketball and uh, Titans and Preds and then a Braves fan somehow. So it's like, I have like a very weird fandom, but not, it's all like explainable. But like, as far as the Titans go, man, like I, like watching it, I, we all expected like receiver at 18. You know what I mean? We were all kind of expecting like secondary with that five pick. And, uh, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit, but as soon as Chicago traded up, and got Trubisky, there was just no trade options at five because John Robinson always wants to trade down. He's just from that Patriots system. And, you know, he seems to be a really bright dude and seems to have everything. You know, last year our draft was so successful just by getting Conklin, you know, later in the round and getting all those picks and stuff like that. And But, you know, I wanted Davis. That's the dude that I wanted. But I wanted him at 18. So that trade, I guess, really forced you know, it forced that run on receivers and it forced, you know, a lot of stuff to happen that probably wouldn't have, you know, if the Titans had their way, they would have traded down out of five, right? Yeah. And that's the, the second round pick. The rumor out there is that they had deals in place if Trubisky was still on the board. And I, I think a lot of teams did, you know, the the Jets at six did. So you're right. It, it threw everything off and no one was predicting three receivers to go in the top 10. So it's weird. Like you see Davis come off at five and you're like, man, that's a little early, but then Williams goes seven and Ross goes nine. So at the end of the day, you're kind of happy that you got a receiver when you got one, I guess. Yeah. And you got your guy. And, and it, honestly, Davis was the dude that I wanted just cause I'm from Kalamazoo, which is where Western's from. I watched him play a couple of games this year just cause Western was so good. And I was just like, you know, that's the dude that I wanted. It's just weird to get him at five. And then, you know, uh, you know, DB at 18, you know, I, I, we were hoping what, – what, what were we talking about, Lattimore at five? Yeah, I don't exactly. Adoree's great, right? I mean, he's just small. 
and I hear he's gotten burned a bunch, and I don't really follow West Coast football too much. Like I'm a, I like, I'm a Michigan fan, so you know I watch. I was like making jokes about taking taco at five and stuff like that, just because it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, man, that I don't know. We need help in the secondary. We uh, we needed help at receiver. I mean, the thing about it is like when you have a young quarterback, right? He needs weapons, and we had no weapons. I mean, still even. I mean, is Matthews a number one? Probably not. He had a great year last year, and hopefully he can do it again. But, like, just getting weapons was, was huge. And I honestly, instead of a Dory, I would have loved for them to take OJ at 18 because he oh, was God. still there. And then you have your <laughs> you're, you're set for five years on offense with weapons, in theory, right? You got yeah. Henry for the next five years. You got OJ for the next five years. You got Davis on the outside, and then you plug him, you know, Maybe Matthews can do it for two more years, three more years, but like that would have been amazing. And then you just like, because I mean, are they going to be a Super Bowl contender this year? Yeah, probably not, right? I, I mean, they're up and coming. Probably not, but yeah. they should be a playoff team, right? So you go one more year with a secondary that's patchwork, even though you've already made a you know one huge free agent signing there, and then you can go the next year and make it a priority. I don't know. I just thought that would have been a cool move. It would have been. It would have, like, Marcus Mariota had to be the happiest guy in the world if you can get Corey Davis and, and O.J. Howard with a, uh, already a really good offensive line after what they, they did last year. So I'm with you. Yeah, that would have been it would have been a lot of fun. Um, So I want to talk about your music career a lot because I, I think that, you know, especially in football culture and, you know, being in the South, like, that's a, a lot of people. It's, you know, it's sports and music. So how did you get your start? Like you said, you're a Chicago, you know, you're – from Missouri, from or excuse me, from Michigan, from Chicago, and and now you're in Nashville. So, uh, how did you yeah. fall into this? Oh man, um, well, I moved to Nashville to go to college. I went to Belmont University, which is just a school right in the middle of the city, and they're known for music most of all. And um, but I didn't go there for music really. I like, I got there and I like became a, I got a sociology degree, which I really loved. Like it was really a great time and I, I loved learning that and I was going to go to grad school I wanted to go to Michigan for urban planning and uh then I was like I don't I don't know what urban planning is so I probably <laughs> didn't go pull the trigger on that and uh so I um kind of just ended up I, I'd always always been around music and, and the guy that I grew up with named Aaron that's how he had come to Nashville kind of the same time I was and he was starting to write songs with you know a group of people that like we're at the same spot I was and it just sounded interesting and fun and we kind of all came up together so like we started writing and wrote about a hundred songs together and then you know showed those to publishers and it's just like getting your foot in the door anywhere else man I, I feel like being in sports media and being in music is sort of the same way because people probably ask you all the time like how'd you get your job well you probably just wrote a lot and then you know like one person heard, like saw it and then like that's kind of how it was with us it was like one person would hear it and get a meeting and then they'd ask who wrote those songs with them and then I would get a meeting and we kind of kind of went like slowly like that so like my friend Joey signed his publishing deal first and then I got a publishing deal and then Aaron got a publishing deal because like in Nashville you sort of get signed like as a crew of writers if that makes sense just because yeah. you know like everybody wants kind of a piece of the new cool thing and um but man I I have been writing songs for other artists in Nashville for like almost five years now. 
So that's been my job. I like my first cut was with uh, an artist named Jake Owen. Are you familiar with a lot of country music? Oh yeah, it's all I listen to when I'm riding or okay. driving to games <laughs> okay, or good. everywhere. Yeah. Good. So Jake is my was my he's actually been one of a really awesome friend to me. He's the first ever guy that recorded my song. It's called Surefire Feeling on his summer EP. Actually, it was on two of his albums. And then, you know, like over the years, I've had cuts with like Dirk Bentley and Florida Georgia Line and Tim McGraw, Rascal Flatts. And, you know, I had um, a number one song with uh, Blake Shelton. I wrote Lonely Tonight with Ashley Monroe. Oh, yeah. And that was like my big hit. And then I wrote the new Lady Annabellum song, You Look Good. Like, so I've always been like a songwriter for other artists. And that's like a legitimate job in Nashville, Tennessee. I know it's kind of foreign to a lot of people, but we, you know, there's, it's a, that's kind of what I always expected to do is just be like a writer all the time. And it's the cool part about being just a writer is like you're creative all the time. Like you're always making music, you're always writing. And, uh, but the tough part is like you don't get to choose like which of your songs get heard. If that makes sense, like you you don't control who records your songs. Like you might love something and then nobody ever cuts it, and so you like nobody ever hears it. And um, you know, like you might get a song on a record, but it never get on the radio. And I just I hit this point where I was like, I've kind of done a lot of what I can do in songwriting. I can go do more of it. Like I can go try to get more hits, which I still I'm still writing for other artists, but. I can do that or or I can like this is a great time in my life to like go make my own album. So I just decided like I'm gonna just start making an album independently and hopefully, you know, something cool comes out of it. So I started making this album and then about halfway through the process, uh RCA Records like jumped on board and they signed me and uh to a record deal and then I have just finished making that album. It took me over a year, actually. Um, and, uh, we're at the point now where we picked, like, we released those four songs, um, and we picked a radio single and then, you know, we're like, I've been, I've spent the mo- most of this year, like flying all over the country, meeting radio programming directors and music directors. And like, that's kind of a thing in, in Nashville, it's called radio tour. It's kind of, kind of like a rite of passage that you have to do in order to be on country radio. So I've that's where I'm at. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, I was late today with you because I, I was in Nashville doing radio. So I met like the two with the two stations that broadcast in Nashville and then did a whole bunch of like syndication stuff. So I did interviews like after midnight and Blair Garner and like uh, kicks Brooks and like all these like nationally syndicated radio programs. It's just like part of what you do. That's like, that's like yeah. a very long winded <laughs> version of it, but it's like, it's not like a simple answer. Like we get asked all the time, like how do you, how do you get your foot in the, like how do you get your foot in the door? How do you get into like get in with Music Row? And how do I get a publishing deal or whatever? And like my answer is always like treat it like a job and focus on getting somewhere. And or no, I'm sorry, whoa, wrong. Focus on getting good and not on getting somewhere. Like because if you if you focus on writing great music and you focus on getting better, then you're going to end up being, you know, this uh, with like as a writer in town. But if you are always like constantly, I don't know, it's like anything else. If you're constantly worried about like the next thing, 
which everybody is to an extent, but just try to focus on like what you can actually control as a writer and as an artist. And that's like your work. And that has to be like its own reward. And I'm sure there's, there's like similar parallels to that with like being in sports media, where it's like part of the, like the part of the compensation is the fact that your job is really, really cool. And that, I don't know, been something that, especially lately, I've had to really focus on is like, we've had a lot of great stuff happen and there's a lot more heartbreak in this than there is actually uh, success, if that makes sense. But yeah. The work itself is really fun. It's like you said, there are a lot of parallels because it's the same with this side of the job. You know, it's how do you get started and it's what you write for free for years, you know, sometimes and, yeah. and hope that you, the right person reads it and it's really a, you know, right place, right time, but you have to be ready for that opportunity. So it sounds like it's the exact same thing, you know, on your side of it is you, you bust your ass and you play bars and you write, you know, you write for other people and then eventually you get your own shot. Exactly. And like a part of proving myself, like I have a lot of credibility, I think with people in town because they know that I have written, like I've, I've written with all these other artists and I know them and they're my friends and it's, and they're people who like, I think I have a lot of respect for who I am and what I do just because they know that I, you know, there, there's a level of credibility there as a writer. And that, it doesn't give me a pass as an artist, but it at least gives me a conversation piece, like somewhere to start to say, like, I'm new, but I, I'm not exactly new. Like, I've been around this and I know all these people and I've worked with, to be able to say you've worked with Dirk Bentley, man, like, that's a really huge thing. And, you know, so, but yeah. How long, how long have you been at Bleachers? I've been here almost seven years. Actually, this okay. week is this week will be my six year anniversary of full time at Bleacher. So, oh wow! Like from the beginning, you know, and and like, I guess the parallel for us would be like my credibility came because I I coached before this. So I even though it was just high school football, it's like you can kind of speak the language, and so it it opens some doors for you that if I had gone to journalism school and then worked for a newspaper, I maybe would have ended up at the same spot, but it would have been a lot harder to get where I am right now. Sure. I mean, I guess that dude in, in Nashville is Clay Travis because he's from here and he's like yeah. been on the radio here for years and years and years. And he, he certainly didn't coach football. No, He just came at it from like, you know, such a different angle than, you know, compared to everybody else. But, yeah, and you either love him or hate him, right? So, yeah, and he's that's his. He does not care either way. He just right. wants you to have a strong reaction. Yeah, it's perfect. He's a pretty brilliant dude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where sports media is going. You know, is you know almost like less reporting and more opinion. You know, which is uh, people have positive and negative reactions to that. So it's it's crazy where it's going right now. But I want to ask yeah. because I have an opinion on this, but. Like of those four songs that you have out right now, like which one is your favorite? Which one? I, I don't know. Which one means the most to you? I guess. Man, <laughs> actually, never been asked that question. Oh, good. Isn't that weird? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's really strange because I've spent so much time making a full album. Like I, I cut twenty songs and had to whittle it down to twelve. And, um, of those four, well. They're all different for like for different reasons. I, I think the one that's like the least personal is City Girl, but that's like a I don't know. I mean that that one just comes across so huge live and like people have real like they I don't know it feels like a hit song, but 
the other three are, you know, when I got Love in a Bar and We Do Us back, it sort of informed everything about what I do. So those two songs are really special. And those are the two songs that we were flipping back and forth about, like our first radio single. And we ended up going with Love in a Bar. But I mean, Love in a Bar is a really personal song because it's a pretty true story about like how Mary and I got together. It was like after we'd write songs and go hang out. I just bar right by Music Row. We'd like walk down the alley and hang out, and we were just friends at the time. And so, I mean, that that's a very personal song. And, and we do us kind of written about that relationship too. But I mean, it's fun and there's brightness to it. So it's I, I don't know, man. I, it's hard to pick one. I mean, that's the hardest part about choosing songs or saying what your favorite is or choosing a single is you feel like you're sort of killing the other eleven sure. as opposed to picking one. But Man, I'm really proud of all of those songs, and I feel like even if they're fun and light, like content-wise, like I really love like this my like what I've done with this album lyrically. Like I'm really proud of like what it says, and like I feel like the songs are like about as as good as I can do right now. Like I would, you're always trying to be better as a songwriter, but I'm really proud of like the narrative of my album and the narrative of these four songs that came out and and uh yeah but picking one man that's tough what's your what was your opinion well i would have said uh we do us just because like you said it's like it's upbeat and you also have that like kick-ass you know like at the beginning where it's obviously marin singing at the beginning right and like brings you it is not marin it's not it sounds just like her that's crazy well here's the deal this is kind of the so I wrote that song with my friend Mikey Reeves and our friend Laura Veltz. And Laura is a huge songwriter in Nashville. She's actually my neighbor too. But we, she's written a song, like she wrote We Do Us with me and a song for me called Half Hoping. That's on my album. And then she also wrote for Marin's record. She wrote Sugar and she wrote I Could Use a Love Song and she wrote um, Rich. So it makes a lot of sense that every, like everybody thinks that's Marin. But the reason, like, the reason it sounds like Marin is because like Laura is so like influential on our music. And I feel like Marin and Laura like influence each other a lot. So they have like a very similar styling, like the way that they sing. And also like, she's not saying any words. So it's yeah. kind of like <laughs> tough to tell who exactly it is. Cause, it, but Marin sings on a couple things like background stuff on one song on, on my album and, She's always been like really supportive of my music and has always like sung like whenever like I did an, like an EP like as a writer called Panorama and she sang every background like every note of the BGVs on that whole project which was really cool and it's not out but um, yeah and I've sung on her album like I I wrote a song on her album called I Wish I Was which is track eight and I sing on that one and. Um, yeah, but We Do Us, man, that's a fun one. I really, like, I loved, I don't know, just nothing sounds like that. Right, yeah, there's nothing like it on radio, a, yeah. You're always trying to find something that, like, you always, like, want your album to be like, wow, nothing sounds like that. Like, it's familiar, it's clearly, like, relevant sonically, but I can't, like, you can't, like, put your finger on what it actually sounds like. And that's, like, I don't know, that's what Sam Hunt did like nobody sounded like Casey Musgraves when she came out at the time. Right. And that's like what you're always aiming for is like making your own lane. And I'm, you know, it's really fun to try to do that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So the new album, the first album, I guess, when does that drop? 
Well, I have to do a lot of work at radio first. So, like, Love in a Bar hits radio uh, June 12th, and um, it'll be on in Kansas City. Uh, and then I've already I've been all over Kansas City doing radio stuff. Um, and then, depending on how well that does and how quickly that goes up the charts, that's when the album comes out. So, I mean, as as much as I want to put it out now, like I'm still so new as a name, and like there's not a ton of people who are super familiar with me. And while they might know my songs, like you know, there's still a lot of work to be done on like the promotion front. So, I really wish I could just put it out because that would be. I don't know, I'm just ready for it. Yeah, I'm sure after all that work and like you said, all the time spent writing for the people and, and now you're just ready to go do mm-hmm. your own thing. So that's cool, man. So dude, I asked for ten minutes and you gave me thirty. So I appreciate it. This is <laughs> it's been great, dude. And man, um I'll anytime I love you know, I've listened to a handful of them and I, I really do love what you guys are doing and love talking on Twitter about anything except for music, so thank you for having me. Yeah, exactly. And I, I told you the other day, I've already got tickets. You're going to be in my, my backyard in October. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Good. It's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks again. Ab- absolutely, man. Anytime you want to come. Yeah. Thanks, man. And yeah, everybody listening, make sure you check out Ryan Hurd. Uh, got that EP out and it literally got me through months of writing scattering reports and watching film. I had that like on a loop with like Old Dominion and, and Marin and Brothers Osborne and just like at three in the morning when you're watching, you know western kentucky film you gotta do something so uh, so thank you <laughs> yeah. for helping me man but it was good talking to you and uh we'll, we'll see you soon all right man thanks all right thanks dude and welcome back to stick to football for our final segment uh, i just want to say thanks again to our guy ryan hurd for dropping on the podcast talking some Titans football, talking about what's next for him and, and this you know music career and how quickly he's blown up. So uh, definitely check his music out on, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your music. Uh, but Connor, we've got some defensive rookie of the year candidates to talk about and then a really long draft on draft segment. And I'm looking forward to drinking two beers this week because uh, it's been that kind of week. Yeah, I was going to say, well, we do have to at some point do our uh, Mexican beer mock draft. So, you know, maybe we can get into that at some point, too. I love that suggestion. I'm sorry. The person that suggested it, I don't remember who it was. But, uh, yeah, we have a great draft on draft ready to go with a lot of good questions. But we got to finish the defensive rookie of the year canon since we went through the offensive guys. Um, My pick here and Matt's, they're both going to surprise you. But I think we have really good reasonings behind them because these awards have become such a numbers game. And I'll let Matt start us off with his guy. If you've been following him this draft season, you shouldn't be too shocked by this, but I still like how it's a bold pick. Yeah, I'm going with Ruben Foster. And I guess you can put an asterisk there and say if he's healthy. Let's yep, see what happens with the shoulder. If healthy, playing that weak side linebacker spot, he's going to have so many tackles in that defense. And, um, like, listen, this kid is such a competitor. He's so tough. He's so football smart that I think he just comes in and makes plays. And it – you know, we've heard Connor for months about, man, like, okay, the kid off the field, he's going to need kind of a babysitter just because he doesn't have, you know, great life skills. And, you know, you worry about the drug test, the the diluted test at the combine and things like that. But on the field, zero concerns with Reuben Foster as long as he's healthy. Yeah, and how could you, especially in that Niners scheme? I think he's going to be able to have a lot of space to work through. I think he's just going to – he can make a lot of plays when healthy. So – 
I totally get it. And I kind of have the same reasoning behind why my number one pick is Raekwon McMillan. I just think he's a guy that can come into Miami right away. I think he can start right away. And I think, you know, we saw it with Kiko Alonso with the Bills where you kind of blink and you're like, oh, my God, this guy has a million tackles. So I just think that, listen, he's a sideline to sideline backer. I've seen him play physical. He's really smart. He's been, uh, you know, kind of a leader in that front seven for a while. And I think Miami needed a guy like him behind those big boys on that defensive line. I think he has the right help around him to put up insane numbers. And I, I truly do believe Raekwon McMillan can be the defensive rookie of the year. And he's my favorite to win the defensive rookie of the year award. It's interesting. We both went linebacker because, you know, the past few years, it's been Joey Bosa, Marcus Peters, Aaron Donald. But before that, it was Kiko Alonso and Luke Keekley. So like there is a, you know, there is uh, linebackers win this award uh, more often than people might assume. It's not always just pass rushers, you know, um, Patrick Willis, Jordan Mayo, Brian Cushing, um, Tomeco Ryan's like, there've been a lot of inside linebackers to win that award. So it's, it's kind of yep. funny that we didn't talk about this all beforehand and we both went linebacker. Um, now I'm going to go against the grain one more time. I'm going to go Malik Hooker playing free safety for the Indianapolis Colts with what they have done up front uh, through free agency and through the draft. He's going to have opportunities to make plays over the top. And you know, I also love Quincy Wilson. I thought about putting him here, but I just don't think he has the ball skills to rack up those numbers to be, you know, like Marcus Peters won it because he had like seven picks as a rookie. I see Malik Hooker being that kind of guy. With Vontae Davis and Quincy Wilson on the edges, uh, with TJ Green uh, also playing safety with him, with the pass rush they're going to be able to scheme up, and with now the players they have in that front seven, I think Malik Hooker, you know, I, we all saw the video where when, when they drafted him, Chris Ballard told him, you're the closest thing I've seen to Eddie Reed," and I coached him in college. Hooker's got some big shoes to fill, but everything I've seen says he's going to be someone immediately – who you know has a chance to lead the NFL in interceptions. Yeah, how could you not love the potential production there with Malik Hooker? I mean, and going back to your point about the linebackers, it, you know, potentially winning this award or winning this award so often is that we've seen a lot of dud years, first rookie years out of pass rushers. I mean, look at D Ford, a guy that people were like, or Vic Beasley. So many of these guys, and listen, I'm not saying Miles yeah. Garrett's going to have a dud year, but I also don't believe Miles Garrett is in the best situation to come in and be a 15-sack guy right away at all. And Miles Garrett is my number two guy because I, I just have trouble doubting him. Uh, I, I think he is the type of player that, you know, defenses uh, or offenses will have the game plan around. I think he can take over. But the problem is coming into the Browns, teams might just be willing to double team him right away. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they were. I think I would be willing to do it. So that's why he didn't come in at number one for me. And you can game plan around him, you know, with your guy with Hooker. Sure, you could throw the ball away from him, but. We've seen it only take one or two targets or anything near him, and he covers a lot of ground. So, you know, it's it's hard not to love what he could do and the kind of production he could put up right away. Yeah, I want Garrett as my number three player. I see him having a Joey Bosa type year. I know Bosa won the award last year. You know, 10, 10 and a half sacks, um, probably not a ton of tackles, but the, the hurries and the pressures should be good for Miles Garrett. To your point, yes, I, I think teams – might test him early on. Um, I'm anxious to see just exactly where he lines up. Is he playing right defensive end? Is he playing left defensive end? Because I, I truly believe that can make a huge difference in the type of numbers that he's going to be able to generate because of with Greg Williams scheme, 
you know, I would assume he's going to play right defensive end, but doing that, you're facing some very good left tackles in the AFC North, you know, so that's the six games where you got to go against Joe Thomas and you got to go against Ronnie Stanley and Villanueva. And, you know, that's, that's not an easy cast to rack up big numbers against. And I loved Garrett. You know, I, I've defended the kid for a year against people saying he was overrated or not any good or, you know, that he's a one-trick pony. I think he's going to be a very, very good pro, just maybe not great enough numbers in that situation to get rookie of the year and, you know, honors. Yeah, and, you know, now I make my third pick here and my second Miami Dolphin on this very short list already. I took my guy Charles Harris just because – Yet again, you look at what's around him, and this is kind of our county argument. You know, obviously, our argument with Garrett is, hey, teams might be able to game plan around him with that Browns defense. With Charles Harris, he can kind of walk into this award if put in the right situation and if the, the light really turns on like it did in 2015. Where, listen, Cameron Wake, Ndamukong Sue, Jordan Phillips, you know, just a lot of solid, really good players in that front seven where Charles Harris might be seeing a lot of one-on-one matchups. And if he kind of walks into a 10 sack years a rookie and Garrett is a guy that you know is great run defender but maybe only has six or seven constantly facing double and triple teams once again it's a it's an on paper stats kind of driven award and I think Charles Harris can really give these guys a run for his money if like we said if the light turns on like it did when you know two years ago he was a nightmare to stop as a pass rusher at Mizzou and I think he can get back to that form in Miami right away yeah, and he's going to – there's going to be a lot of attention in the middle of that defensive line with guys like Sue up there to where he could get free. He didn't make my list, uh, but Hassan Reddick did, and this was a player you loved throughout the draft process. I don't know that his numbers will necessarily be great in that defense, but I, I picked him as someone who could just make such a large impact that maybe we overlooked the numbers, kind of like with Dak last year, where like just what he did as a player changed that franchise so much, even though Ezekiel Elliott had better numbers. Hassan Reddick is the same way for me just because what he'll do against the run, what he can add as a pass rusher on third down, what he can add as a coverage player. So, you know, I jokingly called you a utility man at the beginning of the show. Like Hassan Reddick is a utility man. He he'll really make an is. impact on all three downs and fill, fills such a gigantic hole in that defense that that's why I put him on the list, even though I, I think there are other guys who are going to have much better numbers. He's just that impactful of a player. Yeah, and this goes back to a guy that's an impactful player to me, a guy that you put a little higher at number two. At number four, I have Malik Hooker, just because, yet again, Hooker could even be a guy like Reddick where, you know, he shores up so much on the back end for a Colts secondary that it was really weak, it seems like, over the last couple of years. Stops the big play. Like I said, teams can avoid targeting him. But, man, if teams don't, if he comes away with eight picks, it just wouldn't shock me. It's one of those things where you're like, well, we've seen it before. And if teams doubt him, then, hey, he can come in and really do some damage and, you know, round out my list. I, I went with another dark horse pick here at number five. Not the first safety the New York Jets took in this draft, but the second safety in Marcus May. Just because I think May is going to be playing a lot more free safety than Jamal Adams. And I think, yet again, May is a guy that, you know, people are sleeping on a bit. He could do some really nice things in coverage if he comes and he's one of the best tacklers. You know, he was, in my opinion, probably the most reliable defensive back when it comes to tackling in this entire draft class. If May has a year where he puts up some serious tackling numbers like Keanu Neal did last year, comes away with four or five picks, maybe forces a fumble or two, and none of these guys really light it up like we were expecting, he could he could walk into the, he could find a way to steal this award in a sense. 
I'm gonna have to buy you a Marcus May jersey. You love this kid. So. I do. I can't lie. It's <laughs> it's a little uh, yeah. Gonna stick to football. We'll we'll dip into the budget and make this happen for you. <laughs> so I went with Jared Davis as my fifth player. Um, uh, drafted into another great situation, and that's probably the the common thread. All five of the players that we both picked is you're looking at situations. Going to Detroit with Terrell Austin as the D coordinator, uh, he's going to play that middle linebacker spot and really be asked to do a lot of the things C.J. Mosley was asked to do as a rookie in Baltimore, and I see very, very similar production uh, from him. Just that ability to like lock down the defense. And you just talked about Marcus May, and I've told this story too many times. I swear to God, this is the last time I'll tell it. But watching <laughs> the Florida defense in 2015, Jared Davis was the best player on the field. And like, I mean, he was all over the place. So if he's healthy and he should be, he's going to a situation which is tailor made for his talents. And he's got big guys in front of him with Nada and you know, Ashawn Robinson and, and Ziggy Ansa. Like he's going to be protected to make plays. And I, I see him with the the range and the instincts to be a, a just a very very good playmaker early on. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I mean, I think when you look at Gerard Davis, it's another one of those guys that's coming into a where a tackling situation where he's just going to rack up a ton of tackles. But the difference with him is what he can do in coverage is what makes him different than a Foster and a Raquan McMillan, where I think both of them can be solid sitting in his own type coverage. But Davis is a guy that'll he'll run down the field with people, which is super impressive. He just has to stay healthy. That's the biggest thing. So, all right, uh, you know, we got to finish it off with our favorite segment which is the segment we do for you guys, of course, and for ourselves, considering we get to drink beer during it. Draft on draft. And Matt, well, you know what time it is. Time to crack it open. That's right. That sounded so good. <laughs> and we got we got so many good questions this week. I'm just going to get right into it. The first one from Anthony Mangaluzzo. What improvements does Luke Falk need to make in order to become an early-round prospect? And it's funny, I found, I got to watch some Luke Falk about a week after the draft because I was watching Gabe Marks uh, after I had, you know, I had heard, I'd been told he signed with the Jets, and I thought he was one of the better UDFAs available. Luke Falk is super accurate. I think he scans the field really well. I thought he would have been a late round two pick in this class because, you know, there wasn't, you know, you see, you see guys like CJ Beathard go in the third round. I think Falk was a way more talented player. Um what he needs to improve on, I think you'd like to see a little more down the field passing. I don't know if that'll ever be his game, but you know, Matt, you wrote it in here, arm strength. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna let you talk about it. But it's the one thing I'd really like to see just more examples of. Yeah, and and it's funny because you know we were talking early in the show about okay, well we're starting on next year, and like one of my hidden weapons in scouting, and you know Connor is is my brother who's my scouting assistant, of course, uh, my brother excellent. Marshall, and so I texted him today and I was like. Hey, people are asking about Luke Falk. I know you started on quarterbacks. Like, what have you seen? And he, he you know, sitting there at school texting me his notes, but he said that, you know, he, he struggles with, you know, accuracy in terms of like they're completed, but he's hanging his receivers out to dry. Uh, he's, he's really, you know, getting some of his guys killed. He also said that, you know, like Washington shut him down, which, you know, one of our secrets with evaluation is that, or maybe not a secret, one of our, our tricks is that you always start with the best competitor. So like when you're looking at Washington State's schedule, like, oh, he played, he, you know, played University of Washington and we all know how dominant that secondary is. So let's watch that game. And he, he did struggle that game. He threw three interceptions against Washington. And so that's the one that you really worry about. And then uh, I'll finish off his notes here said that, you know, he throws into coverage often and, and he throws off his back foot. So those are all things 
I could probably teach a guy to throw off his front foot. You know, we see that a lot in college. You got to trust your offensive line a little bit better. But looking at Luke Falk, you know, he's this tall, lean guy, and everything that he does is kind of underneath in that Mike Leach offense. So I would like to see him, like you said, push the ball a little bit more. I did think they threw like vertically down the middle a little bit more last year than we've seen some in the past. But uh, also just playing better under pressure is really where he has to get better. Um, You know, I think when I, the two games that I've watched so far, one was Washington. uh, He's just, he kind of crumbles under pressure. So we'd definitely like to see him play a little better there, but he's in the mix, you know, next year as maybe, you know, QB four as of this point behind the big three, you know, with Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. But like you just said, we've seen guys, C.J. Beathard went in the third round. You know, uh, Josh Dobbs was being talked up at one point. Nate Peterman was being talked up. And I like Falk's just raw game a lot better than his. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I completely agree with that. And that's why I felt that he would have been kind of a late round two, early round three guy in this class just because he has all the makeup of a really good number two that you, you can trust as a spot starter. But, um, you know, speaking of a guy that does not have the makeup of a number two and a guy that you will not be using as a spot starter is Patrick Mahomes. This question from Kent Swanson What's Mahomes' ceiling slash floor given the situation he has been placed in with the Chiefs, which I think is a very good situation, me personally. Now, I'm getting away from the constant, you know, the Brett Favre kind of talk here, and me and you actually use the same ceiling. Uh, I changed my floor in this because if you followed my Draft Radar articles throughout the college football season, I actually did a quarterback spectrum piece where I did ceilings and floors for all the top guys. And uh, Mahomes, to me, I had said Logan Thomas back in the fall. This is about halfway through the season. I think the floor is a little higher than that now. I, I compared it to Josh Freeman, where, you know, I think, you know, he's in a great situation and can excel. And at one time, Josh Freeman did. But when it goes really wrong, it's really, really ugly. So I think his ceiling is Big Ben, not Brett Favre. And I don't know if this is just kind of a weird bias to have, but like Mahomes big plays are a lot clunkier than people make it out to be in a funny way where it kind of reminded me of Big Ben where it's like, man, he's a big dude. You know, he doesn't move great, but he moves better than you expect for his size. And he just finds a way to escape the pocket. And with that arm talent and just that flick of the ball, he can make any throw. And that's why you look at Mahomes and you go, man, if it all does come together, you might have your next Big Ben and not Brett Favre to me because that's just – just too far, way too far. Yeah, Brett Favre is one of the five best quarterbacks I've ever seen, so I'm not going to go there. I know people have asked me, like, is he John Elway? And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> John Elway was perfect, guys. Let's be careful here, you know, talking about a prospect. And I, I really do like Mahomes, especially the situation is great because there's not going to be any pressure to play right away. So I went, like you said, Big Ben was my ceiling for him. My floor was Blake Bortles because I honestly believe that if he doesn't fix – some of the mechanical issues that we saw at Texas Tech, he's not going to be a baseline NFL quarterback. Like, he's not even going to be like a bottom 10 starter because it's so bad. And I know that he has worked his ass off to fix those mechanics, but that's so easy to do in January, February, March, April when you don't have Von Miller running at you. So, and we said this about Bortles too. Like, he has to fix his mechanics, and you hear all the, oh man, he fixed his mechanics. And then he gets pressured and he reverts back to the norm. And so that's what I want to see with Mahomes. I'm rooting for the kid. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed getting to know him, getting to know his dad. Good, great people. 
I want to see him succeed, but there is a lot of work to be done. So I, I think that's why you see the big gap in when we talk about floor and ceiling for him. It's it's like out of the league or an all pro. Our next question from Anthony at a two low 11 better rookie season for Niners Ruben Foster or Solomon Thomas I'll keep this one quick for me my pick is Solomon Thomas don't know if Ruben Foster will be healthy enough to play the full season or if he'll stay healthy enough to play the full season and I just think Solomon Thomas is is going to have a really nice year up front for them yeah I'm actually going to change the answer I gave I put Thomas on the dock but I'm going to go Ruben Foster just because, like we talked about a little bit ago, if he stays healthy, I think he'll be one of the best linebackers in the NFL right away. So, you know, we'll have to like revisit this one like week eight or something and see how the, you know, how people are progressing. But I, Ruben Foster was my number three overall player in this draft class for a reason. So if he's healthy, he's going to be great. So we get a nice little stretch of 49ers questions here. Another one from a 49ers fan and our good friend, Jared Brown. What did you guys hear leading up to the draft about Foster's shoulder? And uh, if and even if sorry, I'm all messed up here. And even if he sits the year, does it affect your evaluation? So, Matt, I'll let you take this one because you talked to so many people about Ruben Foster and the health concerns, the off field concerns and everything. Yeah. So I didn't hear until about 10 days before the draft that there was a concern that he was going to have to have another surgery and he was going to miss a year. And so it, it was one of those things from the combine on, I was constantly talking to people, trying to get information, you know, like, like I do about every player. And, and with Foster, that was the deal is, you know, okay, like the shoulder's probably going to need fixed. And I even talked to Ruben about it. And he was like, no, you know, they, most teams told me I'm not going to need a surgery that they tested it. And I'm good. And we're, that's what we're seeing right now. You know, even John Lynch has kind of come out and said, like, oh, no, we think he's going to play. And then he walked back that comment a little bit. So I don't know if anyone really knows yet if he's going to be able to play or not. But it was out there um, that he was injured. Uh, to the second part of that question, it didn't affect my evaluation because it was explained to me that it would just be a routine cleanup. And, you know, with a shoulder and a linebacker, you do worry about that a little bit. But it's not like – a Miles Jack or Jalen Smith with the knee thing where you're just not sure if they're ever going to get back to who they were. And it was encouraging that, you know, Foster was able to play with his injury um, and it didn't affect his play. So I I think that's one of the things you look for when you are evaluating an injured player is, okay, you know, have they played with this injury and how do they perform with that? All right. To cap off the stretch of 49ers questions, more total yards from scrimmage, Carlos Hyde health with a question mark. Or their new running back pick, Joe Williams. That one is also from Anthony at A2 Low 11. Uh, I said Hyde. Listen, I, I'm not even that high on Williams, especially as a rookie right away. And I just think Carlos Hyde's a very talented player. And you hope at some point the health concerns finally go away. Now, I just, I, but off of purely talent, I'm taking Hyde for total yards from scrimmage all day, every day. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. I think uh, Hyde is a very good fit in Kyle Shanahan's offense. He just has to stay healthy. He could be a thousand yard back. He just has to stay healthy. So I went Hyde as well. And listen, that Joe Thomas pick was one of my least favorite in the draft. I feel like they they really reached on a player there. And I thought Peter King had a great story uh, for being embedded in the the war room there, where he wasn't even on the board. The scouts didn't want Joe Williams at all, and they they went ahead and drafted Jeez. him. Um, so it it'll be interesting. You know, the, I felt like day three of that draft, day two and day three of that draft. We're all about Kyle Shanahan. He wanted Joe Williams. Uh, he wanted C.J. Beathard. So we're going to see. It, this is Kyle's first rodeo, you know, picking his own players. So we'll see if it pans out. 
All right. Well, who is the one undrafted rookie who could make a significant impact with their team this year? Uh, I went with Harvey Lange, and not even just because he went to the Patriots, although that's a big reason why. I thought this was a player that should have been drafted. I think he could do so many different things for you, especially at special teams. But, you know, he's a versatile linebacker. I, I don't understand how he doesn't at least get somebody to take a flyer on the seventh round. Got a gigantic bonus. So there was a lot of teams. Listen, I talked to a couple of teams that were that were bidding for him, but you are going to lose to the Patriots because players and agents especially know that's a place where they can come in and succeed and make the team. So. Listen, I like Lange. I think he's going to be one of those classic Patriots where he's just a special teams monster. Maybe he finds his way into a nice reserve linebacker role this year as well. And I went with the linebacker too, Dylan Cole, another guy. Uh, multiple teams were vying for. He ended up with the Houston Texans, which I think is a great fit for him. They needed someone to replace John Simon. Uh, I know they drafted a linebacker in the second in Zach Cunningham, but I could see Dylan Cole making his way onto this roster and contributing. Um, you know, you look at Brian Cushing, who has struggled to stay healthy, uh, and we, you know, I think Cunningham probably plays maybe a more outside linebacker for them anyway. So Dylan Cole, someone to definitely keep an eye on as a, you know, maybe it's on special teams right away, but I, I think he's going to find his way into contributing. Yeah, that was a really good question from Josh Richter. So thank you, Josh. And this next question from Jack Schneider. Who is one player other than Trubisky in the Bears draft that may exceed their very low expectations? So I took Tariq Cohen. Um, It was hard to come up with an answer for this question. And I'm really sorry, Bears fans. But I just went back and looked at their draft. Obviously memorized the first you know, two picks of Trubisky and Shaheen. I don't really know how much we'll hear Eddie Jackson's name called. I know their secondary is awful and needed the help, but just don't know if he'll be an instant impact player. With Cohen, at least he's a guy that, you know, he's going to contribute on specials. He's a guy that might be able to get that reserve running back role behind Jordan Howard and, you know, maybe be a pass catching type back and hit the big play once in a while. I think he's going to exceed expectations because they're they're not really that high for him. He's a five foot six, 170 pound running back. It, it's a tough call to make a pick on this list, though. I just did not like this draft or the value of it. Yeah, I originally was going to go Jordan Morgan, but I'm going to go with Eddie Jackson, even though I, I didn't like the pick when they made it. But I'm looking at their depth chart and God, he's got a chance, man, because they're so bad. And look, free safety Adrian Amos has never been a guy who produced turnovers. Quentin Demps, strong safety is, I guess, solid. I can see Eddie Jackson if not taking that free safety job, at least being the third safety here and, and potentially getting the, the INTs and the plays to to beat the, you know, the very low expectations like our guy asked because it's just not – it was not a draft that we liked. And it, outside of Trubisky, it's not a draft that you feel like you're going to get a lot of early impact from. All right, our next one from Derek Kells. Which rookie has more receiving yards for the Panthers, Christian McCaffrey or Curtis Samuel? Now, I went with Run CMC here, but I have to say it's going to be a lot closer than people think. Uh, I think for two reasons. One, Curtis Samuel is a lot better than you realize, probably. People keep sleeping on him for whatever reason. Number two, as I said earlier when I was talking about why you know McCaffrey could lose the Offensive Rookie of the Year campaign, is because teams are going to, put attention on him you look at the Panthers offense and you go well I'm not letting that guy beat me because he beat everyone that came near him in college so Curtis Samuel is going to have some opportunities and if you leave him with any open space this is a 4-3 40-yard dash runner and it translates on the field for big plays so I do think it's going to be closer than people realize but I'm still going to take McCaffrey at the end of the day I went with McCaffrey purely off one thing and that is screen package I, I could see them 
rolling out a, a huge screen package for him. You know, they, they did a lot of that with Fossey Whitaker in the past. You have to get McCaffrey the ball. If you want to protect Cam Newton, I think quick passes like that out of the backfield are going to be enormous for helping this offense that has a lot of playmakers right now. Like we've probably underrated this offseason because it's like, oh, they signed Matt Khalil to fix the offensive line. But gosh, they, you know, Kelvin Benjamin, if he's in shape as a player, you have size with Funches. Greg Olson's great. Uh, and now you have the speed of Samuel and McCaffrey. So it's, it's very interesting to see okay like who is going to be that go-to guy I'm with you it, it could be very very close here but uh, I'm going to give the nod to McCaffrey which Rams rookie will make the biggest impact this season that one's from Tevin B uh, I'm going to go with Cooper Cup just because I, I think it's hard to pick against him here I listen I like Gerald Everett but how much is you know a tight end going to give you impact wise right away We'll see, and he's also got Tyler Higby in front of him. When you look at this receiver crew, listen, Robert Woods is an overpaid but solid addition. Tavon Austin, okay, you know, whatever. You know, maybe Mike Thomas, the other Mike Thomas, turns it on a bit this year, and they did take Josh Reynolds as well, who I do like. I just think Cooper Cup's a guy that could work out of the slot. He could work on the outside for you. I think he's a, you know, not to be cliche, but a Jared Goff-type receiver where – he can do a lot of work across the middle of the field in those quick passes. And I think we can kind of blink and be like, oh, man, Cooper Cup caught 50 to 60 balls this year as a rookie. It's pretty solid. And I think that would be the tops out of that crew. Yeah, I went with, with Cup as well. And I'll, I'll repeat a story from draft weekend that Cooper Cup and Jared Goff are repped by the same agency, Rep 1. And so they've actually been throwing together uh, since late December, maybe early January. So there's a great familiarity there. They've already built a chemistry together. So uh, I would imagine that Jared Goff was uh, petitioning heavily for this pick to happen. And now he has someone that he trusts. He has a go-to receiver with some size, with some strength. So I, I do see him having a very big impact this year. All right. If This one from Trevor Nicholson, our good friend Trevor, Trevor Nicholson. If you were to have an all-time draft, you could take any player. Who are you taking number one? So, uh, And he did clarify to say, assuming they're all in their prime, you know, obviously in this day and age, you're going to take a quarterback. If I have to, you know, if I'm taking a quarterback, I would actually take Marino just because I'd like to see what could have been with Marino in a team that I get to build. But if I was going, if we had stipulation that it was non-quarterback, I would take Lawrence Taylor just because, I mean, I don't think you could find a human being that could wreak more havoc off, you know, against quarterbacks off the edge, whatever you ask him to do, an absolute just game destroyer essentially so those would be my two guys one for each side of the ball oh wow um this is one of those questions that we weren't prepped for this is fun um i'm gonna go because if people don't know i grew up an enormous san francisco 49ers fan um so i'm gonna take steve young though not joe montana because i want the the mobility of steve young a little bit more the kind of the also like that grittiness like i just felt like you know, maybe because it's my age, I kind of saw Montana at the end when he was starting to slow down and he'd already had the back injury. So I look at Steve Young as like, that's what I want my quarterback to look like and play like. Uh, if I had to go defense, I'm going LT. There's no one better than, than Lawrence Taylor, yep. especially, you know, we look at guys now like J.J. Watt and Von Miller. And it's hard, I think, for people who are especially younger than us to realize that Lawrence Taylor changed football. Like the left tackle position was an afterthought until Lawrence Taylor came along. And then Bill Walsh looked across the field and was like, holy shit, we got to figure out how to stop this guy. So they, they found an athletic left tackle who was even you know a little undersized, but was quick enough to keep up with Lawrence Taylor. So that 
I mean, few guys actually changed the game, but Lawrence Taylor did it. All right, last question to wrap on the draft on direct se- segment here before you know we're too hammered and it's three thirty in the afternoon. Uh, was Hassan Reddick overdrafted due to combine numbers, or simply overlooked pre-combine because he was at Temple? That's a question from Kyle Morley. Kyle, I love that question, and you know just to give insight here as we talked about before. Reddick is such an interesting story because he was a walk-on at Temple. Uh, Matt, I believe you would know. What did he come in weighing at? I, I know he was super light in comparison to what he is now. Yeah, I think he was in like the 210 range. I mean, he was very small being a, a walk-on who had – and he had been hurt twice in high school. So, you know, he was incredibly overlooked as a high school player. He was overlooked as a, a recruit. Um, you know, my thing with him was we get these numbers in the fall – or late summer, and it's like, here are the top seniors in the country. And it was Hassan Reddick, defensive end, 6'1", 230. So automatically you're like, where's this guy, 6'1", 230? And he's playing edge? That, that, that doesn't work, not today's NFL. So I was low on him headed into his senior season just based off size. You know, he looked too small. And you would watch him play, and he was, he was all over the place for Temple. I mean, he was a very, very good player. But, you know, at some point – you know, there's that threshold of size that you have to meet. And it was really until the senior bowl when he stood up and played inside linebacker when we were like, okay, yep, he yeah. can do this. Like, he it's can impressive. play off-ball linebacker. He can rush on third down. He can play in coverage. So there was kind of that eye-opening moment with Reddick where he wasn't – it wasn't just the combine. It was the whole process that really made him a ton of money. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it was the perfect recipe, essentially, with Reddick. I mean, he had an excellent combine, but he did well the Senior Bowl. You can come down to the Senior Bowl and show NFL teams, you know, what you can be or what you can become. So it, to be as simple as that, it, it's not that he was overdrafted. It's really not. He's a great football player. He's going to change that Arizona front seven. He's could bring so much speed. He could do so many different things, whether it's playing off-ball linebacker on first and second down and then coming and putting his hand in the dirt and rushing the passer off the edge on passing down. So... Listen, that wraps it up. That was an awesome draft on draft segment. Thank you for all the questions, everyone. Uh, you know, I got to cut off Matt at some point here with the beers. And, it, well, hey, we got to get back to work, man. We got the NFL Draft Live 2018 class preview show coming up. We will talk quarterbacks. We will talk defensive players. We got the whole thing going on here. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, Matt, closing thoughts here. Yeah, man, this is a, a fun show. And as we get into summer, just remind people, you can tweet us at Stick to Football if you have questions, if you have segments that you would like us to cover. Um, we are going to get to that Mexican beer mock draft maybe next week. And like those are the things we want to do. We want to have fun. We want to give you guys the, the content that you're looking for. And just a, a reminder, uh, help us out. It, it really makes a big difference if you subscribe and if you rate and review us on iTunes or, or wherever you get your you know, your podcast, just, uh, just throw us a little rate out there. It helps quite a bit with the bosses, so we appreciate it. All right, that wraps up episode four of Stick to Football. We have plenty of good guests coming up this month. We will speak to Adam Schefter at some point and all the madness that he's endured, but we're looking forward to being with you guys the entire year. Thanks for tuning in, and have a good one.